The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 12. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, I've come to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's gonna rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there'll be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. There is a common theme in our readings for today. And that is the conflict, the unholy dissonance between the consistent and holy ways and desires of God and the too often consistently opposite of that ways and desires of the world, including especially the powerful in the world who too often have gained their power and maintain their power at the expense of the powerless and who too often as well, though they in some cases for one reason or another may pay lip service to God, they nevertheless with their actions again and again document the fact that they aren't interested in serving God. They're more interested in being gods or at the very least being in control of the agenda, the narrative, the action items, the priorities that are to be revered as godly. That plays out in our first reading today in the form of the conflict between the prophet Jeremiah and the king of Judah, as well as the so-called prophets of the king who by and large earned their keep and maintained their offices and health insurance and pension plans by telling the king whatever it is he wanted to hear and doing so under the prophetic umbrella, thus says the Lord. Well, whether you're a pastor or a prophet, that, at least in the short term, is a great gig if you can get it. Cozy up to money and power. Discern what the rich and powerful want to hear. Tell them what they want to hear. And then preach to them the good news that what they want to hear is exactly the same thing that God wants for them. The so-called prophetic good news, the so-called prophets offered the king was the assurance, thus says the Lord, that you're doing great. God is so pleased, and God is going to make you even greater by throwing off the yoke and the burden that the king of the kingdom of Babylon has been seeking to impose on you. The prophecy the prophet Jeremiah offered, on the other hand, was thus says the Lord. You've ignored my word. You've shunned and persecuted and even killed my true prophets who've spoken my word. 
Contrary to my word, you've trampled the poor and oppressed the weak and turned your backs to those in need. You have adulterously and idolatrously given yourself to the desires and the beds of other gods who actually aren't even gods. And so thus says the Lord, Woe to you, for I will give you to the desires of Babylon and her king and her gods. And you and your kingdom and your nation will be no more. I'm sure you aren't surprised when I point out that unlike the king's so-called unofficial prophets, Jeremiah was never actually invited to Sunday services or to Sunday brunch afterwards. Jeremiah says scripture was ignored, shunned, laughed at, reviled, opposed, persecuted, beaten, whipped, until finally, says tradition, stoned to death by his own people. And death, it turned out, was the only thing that finally did shut him up. Jeremiah being a true prophet, of course, the words he spoke were the word of the Lord. And as every generation eventually discovered, that can't be shut up, whether you stone it to death or nail it to a cross. Are there false prophets in our times, in our land? Any who, quoting Bible verses, are nevertheless actually toadies to power rather than truth-tellers to power? Any who, by God, love to assure the world's great and powerful just how great they are, even when the kind of greatness they are great with doesn't even begin to rhyme with the desires of God? Any who love to assure the rich that their riches are clear signs of God's blessing and God's approval, but fail to mention the honest-to-God truth that the blessed are called by God to be a blessing to others, especially those others upon whom the world's great and the world's blessed so often look upon and judge disapprovingly. Such, says Jeremiah, will by God be judged. The psalm for today picks up that theme of the disconnect, the unholy dissonance, not now in this case between the ways and desires of God and the kings of the world and those false prophets who boot-lickingly coddle to them, but rather between the ways and desires of our God of justice compared to those judges in this world whose judgments unjustly defer to the rich, favor the privileged, are biased against the poor, and ignore those in need. You know, it just about never stops amazing me how many passages of Scripture you read, and it seems like surely they must have been written just this morning, which of course they weren't. But they, like the words of true prophets, are word of God. And so, again and again, they have a way of speaking truly every morning. And so God, in this morning's psalm, judging such so-called judges, says, how long will you judge unjustly and show favor to the wicked? Save the weak and the orphan. Defend the humble and the needy. Rescue the weak and the poor. 
deliver them from the power of the wicked. For you shall fall right along with and beside the precious princes you unjustly prefer and protect. The last few years has been an increasingly uh, vocal group of evangelical clergy in this country who believe the problem in too many churches today is that while what we are meant to do in our pulpits is proclaim the gospel, what too many liberal and wayward churches are doing is sullying those pulpits by preaching from them instead of the gospel all kinds of matters of, and this is generally said with a sneer, social justice. I read those things, uh, and I think of two things that I want to ask those of my brother pastors in Christ who say such. And I say my brother pastors because um, every single one whose name I've so far seen in public support of that position has happened to be male. The first thing I want to say to them is this. When did preaching the gospel and advocating for social justice become an either-or choice we're supposed to make rather than a both and call? We're supposed to live faithfully and boldly into. And the second thing I want to say is this. Let's go to Scripture together, you and I, and let's start there. And please show me how you get from there, from Scripture, to this conviction that there is the gospel and there is social justice and never the two shall meet. And while you're explaining that to me, make sure to explain it also to the psalmist who says, save the weak and the orphan, defend the humble and the needy, rescue the weak and the poor, deliver them from the power of the wicked. Our reading from Hebrews today concludes one of the signature chapters in the book of Hebrews, that being Hebrews 11, which we heard begin last week with one of the book of Hebrews' signature Bible verses, that being, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And then Hebrews 11 goes on to tell the story of one person after another, after another, after another in, in Scripture who, and beyond who lived life oh so spiritually well because they lived life above all by faith. Faith in the God of Scripture, and later, faith in Jesus, the Son of God who came to save the world, rather than faith in the world and its sons and daughters and things and gods. The conclusion of that chapter 11, which we read today, says that what many of the faithful discovered is that with God as their greatest good, and faith as their greatest goal, and finally, Jesus as their greatest treasure. They found themselves living in ways dramatically different from the ways of the world, and the world, in many cases, treasuring the things it treasures. Opposed, persecuted, tortured, and in way more than a few cases, killed the faithful. I read this week of a study claiming that 59% of Christians in this country, seemingly mostly white and mostly conservative theologically and mostly male, believe that in America today, they are the most persecuted group 
there is. They, in my hard no opinion, have no idea what they're talking about and no right to use the word persecuted. They are not worthy of the word, just as I am not worthy of the word. They, me too sometimes, albeit for different reasons than theirs generally, are in this country and its values, sometimes disagreed with, opposed, maybe sometimes spoken unkindly of or ridiculed. Those of whom the book of Hebrews speaks of, on the other hand, were tortured, refusing to accept relief by denying their faith. Others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and prison. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They were persecuted. They were also those says Hebrews, of whom the world was not worthy. And then the rest of our lesson today, and yet one more signature passage from the book of Hebrews, therefore, and this therefore here refers to all of those who, gone before us, did live by faith, and in more than a few occasions did experience persecution for doing so, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. which takes us to Jesus in our gospel reading for today and a passage which many may hear as one of those most puzzling passages of scripture. There is Jesus wise, as Jesus in our gospel for today says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Do you think that? No, I tell you, but rather division. What's to be made of this? This Jesus, this elsewhere identified Prince of Peace, who in his preaching elsewhere says, blessed are the peacemakers, and at whose birth angels in the heavens sang precisely of peace on earth. What's to be made of that same Jesus now saying what he says here? Well, I think we'll begin to make whatever we'll make of it by realizing for starters that he doesn't here say, I did not come to bring peace to my people, Rather, what he says is, I did not come to bring peace to the earth. Indeed, what he seems clearly to be saying is that precisely because of his coming, there would come division, disruption, not peace to the earth. Because why? I want to say, because listen to this. He absolutely, absolutely is the Prince of Peace. He's the king of kings who absolutely did come to usher in a new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of peace. But until heaven, when that kingdom will at last be fully known, until then, and the new heaven and the new earth that one day by God will be created, until then, right here starting right now, until then, he calls his followers, his disciples on this earth, to live our lives in the direction of that coming kingdom and its 
values. And here's the truth that I hear him in this passage telling us clearly to be true. Do that. Live your life here in the direction of his kingdom's values. And there will be division. As you are, you can sure as heaven count on being resisted, opposed, ridiculed, maybe even nailed to a cross of one sort or another by those who've married their hearts and souls and minds and strength to the world's kinds of kingdoms and their kinds of powers. The conflict Jesus brings, in other words, is not ever conflict inspired by hate. The conflict he brings is conflict brought about by hate's frightened and cowardly and hateful pushback. As a sin-broken world proves over and over again that above all what it hates is God's kind of love. God is love and calls us to be loving. God is truth and calls us to be truth-telling. God is forgiveness and calls us to be forgiving. God's with our, God with arms ever open calls us to be welcoming. Follow God's call in this so often unloving and not truth-telling and not forgiving and not welcoming world, and there surely will at times be pushback, not peace, as those enamored with the world's kind of power and values cling to them, hatefully, stubbornly resisting the values, the paths, the ways that God says make for peace. But remember that then that for followers of Jesus, there is then such a thing as peace, that peace that surpasses all human understanding, the peace of the Lord, which may not in this world necessarily bring peacefulness to all your circumstances, but it can, it will, he can, he does bring peace to the hearts of his own midst all circumstances. For the peace that is the peace of Christ is not found in the absence of trouble, but rather in the promise that he's with you always and that he and his love and his promises at the end of the day are bigger than all troubles. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but division. And the reason it was so and remains so is precisely because he loved the world and still loves the world with love courageous enough to stand up to powers which do not love, even if those powers were quoting Bible verses in opposition to him. And oppose him they did. Quote Bible verses they did. Hate him and hurt him they did. Nail him to a cross and say hell with him they did. And love, love he did. As from the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, he said. With more strength and courage and greatness than any other human ever has ever spoken with. Which I think leaves you with the difference between those who use a God or God talk to get their way and those who give themselves to the ways of God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one group will inflict suffering, if that's what it takes, to get what they desire. The other group is willing to suffer, 
That's what it takes for God to get what God desires. God is love. Be loving. God is truth. Be truth-telling. God is forgiveness. Be forgiving. God's arms are wide open. Be welcoming. And don't be surprised. That's what Jesus tells his church today. Don't be surprised by sin's pushback. Rather, don't give in to it either. Rather, with courage, with strength, with greatness from God, well, God is grace. Be amazing. And may the peace of God that does pass all human understanding be with you and abide with you always. Amen.